Welcome to the Rest Talk channel, a scientific podcast around type 2 inflammation and respiratory diseases. This podcast is supported by the medical department of Sanofigenzyme. In today's episode, we will discuss in detail mucus plugging, their causes, their risk factors, their consequences, and how to best manage mucus plugs. For that, it's a pleasure to have with us Professor Bart Lambrecht from Belgium. Professor Lambrecht, welcome to uh, today's podcast on the on the rest talking on mucus plugging. Uh, maybe for the audience, may I kindly ask you to introduce yourself? Thank you very much, uh, Roxanne. So I'm Bart Lambrecht. I'm a pulmonary physician and professor of pulmonary medicine at Ghent University. But my main job is actually uh, running a research department uh, studying various aspects of, uh, of inflammation uh, at the, the Flanders Institute of Biotechnology. Uh, and my lab has always studied the immunology and pathophysiology of asthma. Thank you. I will start with a, a very simple and basic question, but what are mucus plugs? So yeah, mucus plugs are, uh, are found in the airways of, uh, of patients with, uh, with asthma, but also in, uh, in COPD patients and patients with allergic uh, bronchopulmonary aspergillosis. And they are basically collections of uh, a very, very sticky mucus called mucin. Uh, and that mucus contains uh, debris. It contains fibrin. It contains the corpses of dead cells. Um, and uh, it also contains uh, a lot of crystals. And all of this together um, gets really stuck in the airways. So people are having a hard time coughing it up. And this can cause uh, chronic problems uh, in the airways. So mucus plugging is seen in a variety of disorders. So there are probably several risk factors for uh, forming a mucus plug. In asthma, um, the studies that have looked at this carefully, it's mainly the work by John Fahey and Eleanor Dunnigan, they have seen that people with um, a persistently low lung function, so meaning an AVV1 uh, below uh, 60%, despite maximum therapy. If you look at those patients, and if on top of that, they have a high uh, circulating blood eosinophilia, there's about a 60 to 70% chance that you will find several mucus plugs uh, in the airways of those patients. So eosinophilia, both sputum eosinophilia, as well as uh, blood eosinophilia, together with a persistently low lung function, should be a pointer that a patient might have a mucus plug. They've also been recently described in COPD patients. Uh, in COPD, obviously, the risk factor is, uh, is smoking. But if you have a COPD patient with um, a low lung function and the CT scan doesn't show too much emphysema, there's a high likelihood that the mucus plug uh, will be causing the low uh, lung function in those, uh, in those patients. And then finally, in ABPA, an allergic bronchopulmonary aspergillosis, this is a disease that's seen in asthma, but also in cystic fibrosis patients. There, um, it's, it's the presence of aspergillus sensitization. So we think more and more that the fact that aspergillus colonizes uh, the mucus could lead to alterations to the quality of the mucus. So certainly, ABPA uh, is a strong factor for, and, and fungal sensitization in general, is a risk factor for, uh, for mucus plugging. And what is the role of type 2 inflammation in the building of mucus plugging? So to build a mucus plug, you need type 2 immunity. So 
the first thing you need is you need cells producing mucus. And that comes actually not from, you know, from the glands that are surrounding the bronchi. It's coming from uh, a differentiated uh, ciliated cell. So ciliated cells, which normally form the mucociliary blanket, those ciliated cells can start producing mucins when they're under the influence of cytokines. So this is called goblet cell metaplasia. So they literally turn into uh, goblet cells. And those goblet cells, under the influence of IL-4 and IL-13, type 2 cytokines, uh, acting on the IL-4 receptor alpha, um, they, uh, they start turning on mucus production and uh, in this way produce MUC5AC. MUC5AC is a mucin uh, that can be cross-linked. And that's where the second aspect of type 2 immunity comes in. It's when the eosinophil comes into the airways, uh, another type 2 immune cell under the influence of interleukin-5. Those eosinophils will release their content, including peroxidases. And those peroxidases, together with anions that have been secreted into the airway lumen, will cause the peroxidation reaction of the mucus, causing it to be cross-linked. And then really the mucus starts behaving like a thick gel, almost like dry glue, you know, that is highly elastic. So people can't really cough it up because it's too elastic and sticky. And then the third part where we see type 2 immunity kicking in is when the eosinophils undergo intense activation, they will also release their cytoplasmic content. And in that cytoplasmic content, there's a protein called galactin-10. And then this galactin-10 crystallizes to form charcoalidin crystals. And those charcoalidin crystals are real culprits in the mucus plug because they stick out from the plug and they tickle the epithelium uh, and the underlying stroma so that the whole thing becomes you know, really, really solid and, and uh, you know, it, it's strongly adherent to the mucosa and to the epithelium, but you also trigger the underlying stromal cells and you trigger the immune system, causing again a Th2 type immune response. So in this way, it starts with an initial trigger, you know, rich in IL-4, IL-13 and IL-5, it becomes a mechanical problem with crystals and mucus and that is the new driving force for new type 2 immunity, new IL-5, new IL-13. And you get literally in a kind of a vicious circle that, that maintains itself uh, and is Th2 uh, biased. Thank you. Very, very interesting. And how can you detect mucus plugs in the, in the practice and what should alert the physician and when to look for them? Well, I think the most common misunderstanding about mucus plugging is that you shouldn't expect the patient to tell you that they have a mucus plug. So the, per definition, mucus plugs are stuck in the airways. So a patient will not cuff them up spontaneously. So this type of disease is not associated with mucus production. For example, in the COPD study uh, of, uh, of uh, Eleanor Dunnigan, um, only one-third of people with COPD that had visible mucus plugs uh, on CT scan reported symptoms of mucus coughing or bronchitis. So mucus is stuck. That's one thing. So don't expect your patient to tell you. So what are the pointers clinically? The pointers are, for example, a patient with asthma who is on maximum inhaled therapy. You've tried everything. And despite that, the FEV1 is still low. It's still, you know, 65%, maybe 70%. You know, you've tried everything and lung function is just not moving. We call this 
irreversible lung uh, uh, airflow limitation or irreversible obstruction. We tend to equalize it, you know, with progression of the disease, with remodeling, but it's actually in those patients that you should be suspecting a mucus plug. And if on top of that, you see a good blood eosinophilia in the patient, despite maximum therapy, you still see blood eosinophils. Uh, those are the kinds of patients we would send for a CT scan and see whether your radiologist, you know, with a meticulous exam can try to find um, uh, signs of, of plugging. The CT diagnosis is not easy. You really have to talk with your radiologist. You have to tell them what you're looking for because most radiologists are triggered to only look for mucus plugs in the large central airways. So they often see it you know, in ABPA, they will not miss it in ABPA, but they will often miss it in asthma and COPD. They would call, you know, they would call it mucus collection or something like that, or, you know, uh, uh, thickening of the bronchial walls, something like that. So they really need to look whether the lumen is obliterated and they need to scroll up and down through their CT series to see, you know, if, if something that's obstructed, whether it's really a vessel or a bronchus, and it's been estimated that an exam like that by a radiologist, if they want to do it good, it takes at least an hour before you can actually make up your mind whether there are mucus plugs or not. Very technical. And why are mucus plugs so problematic in uh, airway diseases like asthma, CRS with NP, COPD? Well, I think the plugs are problematic because we currently have no therapies directed against them and they are associated with low lung function. So we, we have always assumed, you know, that, that airway narrowing in obstructive diseases is driven by, you know, by inflammation or by bronchoconstriction. So our complete therapeutic armamentarium, if you will, is directed uh, uh, around bronchodilators and around anti-inflammatory drugs. They all tap into the idea that it's inflammation and bronchoconstriction that's at the heart of uh, the disease. So the, the finding that mucus plugs are, are obstructing and are associated with low lung function, and we see exactly the same thing in mouse models of the disease, for example, uh, lung function tracks with mucus plugs. This is really strong unmet need you know, for, for finding drugs that can resolve those plugs because they are potentially reversible, you know? We, we tend to think that irreversible airway obstruction is caused by airway wall remodeling, fibrosis around the airway wall, loss of elastic recoil in COPD, for example. But, you know, if it's a mucus plug that's at the heart of the disease, getting rid of that mucus plug could potentially restore lung function. And that, I think, is the holy grail of severe asthma uh, treatment. You know, it's finding something that reverses the lung function changes. I always compare it, and so do my colleagues like John Fahi. You can almost compare it with, with a, you know, with, with somebody with a with a heart attack. So you have, you have, you know, prior to your heart attack, you have narrowing of the coronaries, and it gets narrower and narrower and narrower. You know, and then at a certain point, there's a plaque rupture, and then the thrombus. There's a thrombus formation, a mechanical problem. You know, and then you have your heart attack. So the same thing, and then the cardiologist comes in, you know, and then they do a procedure or you do a surgery, you get rid of the thrombus and function is restored. Something like that is the ultimate dream for, for mucus plugs. It's a mechanical problem. You know, we, we should find ways of either going in, injecting something, you know, dissolve the plug 
or give a treatment that can reverse the plugging so that people themselves can cough it up. And people will actually tell you in practice that when they are at the end of an exacerbation and then when they can cough up the mucus, they really feel better. Almost within minutes, they feel better when they can get rid of that that uh, sticky mucus. So I think, you know, finding a drug that could help them is really, really important. Okay, thank you. Is there a direct link between mucus plugs and mortality? That's a very good question. We, we don't know for the moment, but the only thing I can say that if we go back in history and we look at, uh, at autopsy reports you know, that were performed uh, in the late 1800s and early 1900s where people still used to die frequently of asthma, a universal finding in those pathology reports is that people who die of asthma have mucus plugs. And the pathologists describe this as, you know, plugs in the small airways that are so rigid that you actually have to use a scalpel to get them out of the airway. So they're so adherent to the mucosa that you can't, uh, you can't dissect them with your hands. So we don't know, on the other hand, you know, if you see mucus plugs in a patient with, uh, with asthma or COPD, whether that would be a risk factor for mortality. Only the reverse we know. So once you die of those diseases, it's frequently associated with mucus plugging. And I think that's even more reason to start to doing more research and particularly clinical research on that aspect of airway disease. And could you tell us more about the impact of mucus plugging on lung function in the different airway diseases? Well, I think we touched already upon it uh, a little bit. So mucus plugs in asthma are associated with low FEV1. So, and this is not only low FEV1 prior to bronchodilator, but also post-bronchodilator FEV1, as well as post-steroid FEV1 uh, is associated with, uh, with finding a high mucus score uh, in the airway. So I think the plugs are literally obstructing flow. So they are, they are causing... Um, uh, a segment of, uh, of uh, or, or a subsegment of a lung to not take part uh, in the in the airflow, and what's really striking also, if you look at the CT scans of mucus plugging, is that um, despite a, a complete obstruction, uh, you don't have atelectasis in the underlying lung part. So that is very atypical, and that's also why radiologists often miss mucus plugs because they they think you know. If an airway is obstructed, there has to be atelectasis in the underlying uh, lung part. Well, there is so much collateral ventilation between those uh, between those segments that actually there's it's hardly ever that you see atelectasis in in as asthma uh, in asthma mucus plugs. In in COPD, um, uh, there's there's a let's say in, if you look at COPD patients, so with an FEV1 below 70, smoke uh, that are still smoking. Uh, or past smokers, uh, you see that more than 50% have, um, have mucus plugs. And that is also associated with the degree of FEV1 uh, drop and with a low COPD um, assessment test and also with a, uh, with a poor six-minute walk test. So these plugs are associated with parameters that tell you that lung function and functional capacity is actually going down. But the real proof of the pudding would, of, of course, be, you know, if we find drugs that can, you know, uh, reverse mucus plugging, would you also see lung function improving? That is, that is I think, where we have to still wait for the trials that really show that 
with 100% certainty. Okay, thank you. And are these uh, mucus plugs found in the children as well? Yeah, there are some recent studies that are emerging that particularly in the small airways, uh, you can see mucus plugs in children, and this is associated with a higher exacerbation frequency and with low uh, lung function. Um, there's also been autopsy reports of children as young as two years of age where, uh, where you can clearly see uh, mucus plugs uh, happening. So mucus plugging is really a separate, uh, call it a treatable trait. It's something that can happen in your lungs. You know, it's something that would be uh, treatable if we find, you know, a, a specific intervention. And it's not necessarily tracking with any of the other disease parameters like, you know, like chronicity of the disease, or I think they are disconnected. I mean, in some way, there are risk factors for one another, but I think we should really see this as a separate trait with a separate treatment. Okay, thank you. Very clear. And at the moment, what are the options to, to treat and to target this uh, mucus plugging? So currently, in terms of treatment, uh, we have our biologicals, of course. Uh, uh, I think also the inhaled corticosteroids, you know, if you, if you take them you know, on a regular basis, those drugs will be able to prevent mucus plugging. If you, if you take them uh, on a regular basis and you don't have a plug yet, you know, I think this will probably prevent them. There's not really a study, but if you look at goblet cell metaplasia, for example, that should be suppressed by inhaled uh, corticosteroids. The problem is, however, with existing plugs. So existing plugs, um, they, they are quite uh, chronic. They can contain dead cells, you know, crystals, fibrin. And once you have that, you know, uh, getting rid of eosinophils, for example, uh, it's not going to reverse existing uh, uh, plugs. Same with, with an, uh, like drugs like dupilumab, you know, with that block uh, mucus production. That's not going to reverse existing plugs. What you can predict, however, is that those plugs are also being remodeled. So when, when, uh, when you put a, a person on a biological, either an eosinophil targeting or, or an IL-4 receptor alpha targeting drug, you know, those things will prevent new formation of plugs. And I think also once the plug starts remodeling, there might be conditions where patients can actually cuff them up or they spontaneously resolve, you know, and if the underlying process is, is uh, interrupted, I think that is the reason why some of the biologicals also improve FEV1 if you give them, uh, if you give them long enough. So they do more than just reducing exacerbation frequency. They might also reduce uh, uh, plugging. And another, another important parameter that we shouldn't forget is that with every exacerbation, a plug might also grow. We've actually seen that if we look at plugs, they almost looks like, look like the, 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 the growth rings of a, of a tree. You know, like plugs tend to be built up by consecutive layers of fibrin, dead cells, mucus, fibrin, dead cells, mucus. So it's like these things are growing. So probably with every exacerbation, you're making your plugs bigger. Maybe they're resolving a little bit, but they're growing. And this could also be a reason why the biologicals can reduce mucus plugging. It's because they reduce exacerbation frequency. But nevertheless, we would love to have specific drugs, mucolytics, DNA degrading drugs, or crystal dissolving drugs that directly target the mucus plug as a treatable trait. 
And why are the exacerbations making the mucus growth? So I think, you know, with exacerbations, they're often caused by, by viral uh, infections, right? So the, the viral infection will lead to recruitment of neutrophils. That's the most predominant cell type that you see with exacerbations. And then those neutrophils, uh, they come into the airways and then all of a sudden they see this, this, uh, this mucus plug. The mucus plugs contain charcoal-lighting crystals and very much like a gout attack, you know, where neutrophils are, are seeing gout crystals, we know now that neutrophils that see charcoal crystals, they will massively react to those charcoal crystals. They will kick out their own DNA in a process called netosis or neutrophil extracellular trap formation. So they release their DNA and then this DNA will uh, 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 attract all kinds of inflammatory mediators that are released by the neutrophil, trap them all in this mucus plug, and this will cause a swelling of the mucus plug. So there's some recent radiology uh, images where people have looked at exacerbations, and you actually see that mucus plugging is increasing during an exacerbation. So the size of the mucus plugs uh, is, is increasing during the exacerbation. So if you can reduce your exacerbation frequency with any given drug, I think you will also slow down uh, mucus plug uh, growth. But in an ideal scenario, of course, we would like to have drugs that directly attack uh, the mucus, uh, the mucus uh, uh, plug. Thank you. And we are already at the end of this uh, podcast. So my last question will be, what will be your key messages for the uh, audience today? So I think the key message for the audience is that we, we should start thinking about mucus plugs as a cause of persistent airway narrowing and irreversible uh, loss of lung function in patients with obstructive lung disease, because maybe those plugs are not irreversible and we should really be devising strategies to get, to get rid of it. Um, talk with your radiologist. If you suspect that somebody has mucus plugs, uh, convince them to properly look at this, sit together with them the first few times and try to get this to the surface. Thank you, Professor Lamrecht, for this excellent discussion. My pleasure.